Excited to continue our series on the book of Psalms. We've been in it for several weeks. Our tagline is trusting the God who sees. And I hope that as you've been with us the last several weeks, that it has encouraged you, um, pushed you to trust deeper, to put greater hope and faith in our God and King who does see us and know us and loves us greatly. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 34. So if you have your Bible, you can be turning there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones on the connection table at the back. That's our gift to you if you want those. So feel free to grab one of those. But Psalm 34 is another one of those Psalms from King David. And kind of like Brent did last week, it's going to be extremely important that as we get in our minds, what is David writing this Psalm about that we know the backstory? And, and so quickly, I just want to give you the backstory to Psalm 34. If you'll remember, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they decide, hey, we want a king. And God says, it's not going to work out well for you if you want a king, but if you want him, I'll give you one. And so they anoint Saul as the king of Israel. At first he does well, eventually he turns his back on the Lord. And so at some point in scripture it says that God removed his spirit from Saul and he sent a prophet named Samuel to go find and anoint the future king. So Samuel shows up at the house of Jesse. He's like, hey man, what, what boys do you have here? What men do you have here? Because God sent me here to anoint the next king. And so Jesse brings out his oldest to youngest and they're tall and handsome and wise and smart. And the Lord's like, man, I don't need any of these guys right here. He's like, there's, there's a boy out in the field tending the sheep, telling him to come in. And so here comes David, the shepherd boy. And Samuel anoints David as the future king of Israel. And from there, you know some of David's story. He goes and he slays Goliath, right? This young kid with a slingshot takes down the greatest warrior of the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, and everybody's rejoicing. And from there, David just becomes greater and greater a warrior and, and future king for God. And there becomes a saying among the people, actually, that they would start saying, man, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And once this starts happening, Saul becomes jealous and bitter and angry, and he decides, I'm going to kill David. Like, he's not going to be the future king. He's not going to take my throne. I'm putting him to death. But David had become friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And so Jonathan comes to David and he says, look, man, my dad is coming after you. He is going to kill you. He's for real. You need to get out of here. And in this moment, right, David, who has been promised by God that he's going to be the king, David, who has slain the giant, slain 10,000s of men, becomes so fearful, so afraid, this God may not promise what he told me he would do, and so he takes off running from Saul for his life. He's in caves, and he's in back roads and back countries, and, and before he writes Psalm 34, what happens is, first he stops off at the temple, and he meets with the priest, and he's like, hey man, I don't have a sword, I don't have any weapons, what do you got in here that can help me out? And the priest is like, dude, you're David. You've killed 10,000. You've slain the giant. Um, uh, Goliath's sword is here behind this table. Do you, it's yours. You killed him. You could take his sword. So David straps on Goliath's sword. And then he gets the idea, you know what? Here's where Saul will not find me. I'm going to go to the camp of the Philistines, to their country. And surely Saul would not think to follow me to our enemy's kingdom. And he thinks he's just going to slip in. And as he gets there, man, people know who he is. One, he's got Goliath's sword on his hip. And they're like, is that not Goliath's sword? And they're like, this is David. And even they knew the saying. They're like, are you not David that killed 10,000s? And it makes its way back to Ambibelech, the king. 
And then all of a sudden, David is terrified. He's like, I've got Saul trying to kill me. I'm running from him. Now I've just run to my enemies. They know who I am now. Surely they're gonna take my life. Like I just walked into my death. And this is what I love about David's Psalms, right? We just see panic and fear and worry and depression and anxiety. We see these mountaintop experiences so often. He's like, I'm about to die. My, my tears are my food. And so he kind of takes into his own mind, here's, here's what I can do to save my life. He decides literally that he's gonna act crazy. And so the Bible says he's like scratching the walls. He's got drool coming down his beard. And, and again, like this is man left to his best plans, right? Like we're like, I don't know how I'm gonna save my life. I'm just gonna act crazy. And so sure enough, the king is like, I've got enough crazy people in my kingdom. Let's get this dude out of here. And lets him go like God blesses David even in this ridiculous plan And all of a sudden, David becomes king. His life is spared. God is gracious and kind, and he rules the kingdom. And then years later, we get to Psalm 34. David is recounting how God has been so faithful to him, so kind to him, so gracious to him, and he's wanting to rejoice in who the Lord is. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at Psalm chapter 34, starting in verse 1. Here's what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I love this because look, we know like temporal circumstances of the world do not leave us in a mindset always of wanting to sing praises and blessings to God. And yet David's going, look, when I was fearing for my life, when I was on the mountaintop, when he anointed me king, it doesn't matter. He is worthy of praise and blessing. And I'm gonna continually have his name, his honor, his glory, his power on my lips. He'd seen the faithfulness of God. Paul kind of tells us a similar story in Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine. Here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul's going, look, man, I've been shipwrecked, left for dead, almost killed, put in prison, all these things, and rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone The Lord is at hand. Paul understood as David did that regardless of where he went, regardless of what God called him to, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with him and for him and trustworthy. And then we get to verse six. I don't know if y'all know this right now. They have considered America in a mental health crisis state right now. And anxiety is the number one mental health thing happening in our country. It used to be depression. Now it's anxiety and so all of a sudden we we see even in our own country this wrestling with we need we need someone greater than us we can't control everything that's going on we need to look for someone to hope and here's what Paul says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, hey, listen, he may not keep you from worry and fear and doubt and anxiety, but in the midst of that, he has given us a way to go to him and find peace in the midst of our trials, peace in the midst of our worries. And then he literally prescribes to us a way to do this. Look at verse eight. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and what? The God of peace will be with you. Paul says, hey, listen, you want to find thanksgiving, you want to find rejoicing, you want to find blessing in the midst of any circumstance? He says, you've got to fix your mind and your heart on what is good and lovely and honorable and true and trustworthy. We're going to rejoice in that. We're going to rest in that, knowing that Christ is sufficient. And when you do and you practice these things and you live these things out, the God of peace will be with you. Look, he's not going to save us from all of our fears and worries, but he'll be with us in them. He'll sustain us. He'll provide peace. And here's what I wonder, like, your week, your month, your, your day, like, what are you ingesting <laughs> that is true and trustworthy and lovely and commendable? I think so often we, we spend our time taking in things that are not trustworthy, that are not true, that are not lovely, that are not gentle and worthy of praise. And all of a sudden we find ourselves going, I feel undone, Lord. Where are you? I want to bless you, but my, my heart feels rend in two. And he's going, think on what is true. Like we love to lie to ourselves. We love to walk in guilt and shame. And we've got an enemy that hates us that's going to just loft that up over you over and over and over. And we're going, I don't see the Lord. He's going, man, would you come after me and would you seek what is true and right and lovely and you will find the God of peace will be with you. And so David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love this. We just sang of this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Exalt his name. David says, I am going to boast in God alone. Think about this for a second. He is the king of Israel. Think about all the things he had done and the people singing his praises. And he's going, everything I have, everything that's been given to me, every success I've had, it's all because of who God is and what he has accomplished in me. What this creates is true godly humility when we begin to see that everything we have everything we are everything we're about is from the Lord and his goodness to us what that begins to do is lower us down to realize man we don't have anything to offer and he is everything Paul puts it a little bit different in Galatians six fourteen. he says but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You've got Paul, literally who wrote most of the New Testament, has been courageous and bold, sharing the gospel, planting churches, doing all these things. He's educated, he's wise, he's crafty, he's good with his words. And he's going, look, I got nothing to give. Everything about me is because of Jesus. I've died to this world. The world's died to me. I boast in Christ alone. And I wonder for you and I, like, what does our boasting look like? Right, even our salvation, church, is from the Lord. You didn't wake up one day, you and I didn't wake up one day and us decide, you know what, like, I've wanted to do nothing with the Lord, have nothing to do with God, but today, you know what, I'm gonna change that. 
I want to I wanna do this and I'm going to make my life better by following Jesus. No, Scripture teaches this, that whether it was your granny or your friend or your doormate or at a church or a revival or wherever it was that someone spoke the gospel to you, here's what happened, the Bible teaches, is that the Spirit of God came into your heart and literally like Paul, scales fell from your eyes. He removed what you couldn't see so that you could see clearly the beauty and the majesty of who Christ is and left you in a place where you went, I've got to have him. I want Christ. I want nothing else. And here's what's crazy. Faith is what saves. But the Bible says that even faith is a gift from God, not of yourselves, so you may not boast. So your faith to believe in Jesus, your faith to follow him was given to you by Christ. Our salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. He loved us first. He pursued us. He died for us. He saved us. It is about him and him alone. And so we have no boasting. We have no place to boast. And here's what David says is the things that we boast about, the things we get excited about are the very things that other people rally around us and begin to get excited about and rejoice in as well. Listen, he says, I make my boast in the Lord. And then he continues on in verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Look, I'm a pretty emotive person. I love to get excited about things and I really want people to be excited with me when I'm excited. In fact, that's one of kind of Katie and I's little rubs every now and again. I'll be like, this is awesome. She'd be like, okay, that's cool. And I'm like, no, come on, you hate it. You gotta, this is awesome. And so here's the deal. I was convicted by this going, what, what have I been boasting in lately? Like what is, what have I made my boast in? What have I been most excited about that people around me would look and go, man, this is what is transformative in his life. And I was a little convicted because here's the reality. About the last month and a half, we've decided we were going to remodel our kitchen. I don't know where that came from. I don't know whose idea it was my idea. It was a bad idea. But I'm like, okay, we're going to paint these cabinets. I hate that. That's the worst thing you can, if you ever think to yourself, let me paint my cabinets. Just, just don't. I'm, I'm saving you time and energy. But we got the cabinets done finally after weeks, put them back together, and I'm just going to be real. They look beautiful. And I was like, man, look at this kitchen. Look at the splendor. It's amazing. And then I don't know what happened to me, guys. I was already in this thing painting my cabinets going, I'll never do anything else in this kitchen again. And I'm standing by my bar. We have like an island, but it's like the old school like split bar. You know, it's got the raised thing. And I'm like, man, I wonder if I just cut that in half if we can make an island out of this. So I went to my garage, got my sawzall, and just cut that bad boy in half. There's pipes hanging out. There's wires hanging out. And I'm like, what am I doing? And so for the last two weeks, it's been, I've got to make an island on my bar and put a sink in this thing. And so I've been sanding and staining at night, all night long, all through the night. Finally put that thing together Saturday. I'm going to be honest, it's amazing. I, you don't have to look at it. Just know it's amazing. Zero imperfections. I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not, but... I was like, dude, this looks amazing. And you know what I did? Like, I'm a grown man. I FaceTimed my parents. I was like, mom, dad, look at my island. And they were like, son, it's so good. Don't you have kids and a family? Like, what are you doing? Um, but here's what's amazing. I, I began to boast in the fact that I had this amazing kitchen that's coming together. And everybody was excited. I don't know if they were just doing that to make me feel good. But people were like, wow, Matt, you did really great. Maybe they're like, this is horrible. I don't know. But regardless, people were exalting and magnifying what we had done. And then I realized as I'm studying for this, preparing for this, it's like, not that that was a bad thing, what I did. But the question that the Lord asked me is like, man, are you boasting of me as much as you would boast over a piece of wood in your kitchen? 
Are you magnifying me? Are you you exalting me like you would your kitchen? When people come around you and go, man, Jesus is what matters most. He makes his boast, Matt makes his boast in Christ and him alone. And so I wonder for you and I this morning, are we making our boast in the Lord? People came around you, they go, man, that is by far what this person is most excited about, most transformed by is the Lord Jesus. And so David says, I will make my boast in the Lord, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And people come around and they worship God as we boast in him. And he continues on in verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look, look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard me and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear and he delivers them. I got stuck this week thinking about, I sought the Lord. Like what does it mean to seek the Lord with everything that we have? Like as you look back at how you pursue God, would you go, man, I seek him daily with all that I have. I hold on to him tightly until he answers. We've got two dogs. We've got a golden retriever. She's amazing. And we've got a English bulldog, a little white English bulldog named Lucy. And my kids from time to time, they would leave the door open. And Lucy used to. She doesn't do this as much anymore. She would just be gone. Like you open the door, she's gone. And so a lot of times she'd run out and I'd be like, kids, go out there, find your dog, go, go see where they're at. And they don't want to do it. They don't care. They want me to get up and do it. But they go out there and they're like, look in the front yard for 10 seconds, seeking to find the dog. And they come back in and they're like, dog's gone, dad, I don't know. And I literally go out there and it's like in the front yard of our neighbor's house. I don't know how they didn't see it, but their seeking was very minimal, right? But there was one time uh, when, when we were living here, actually, we didn't have our other dog our kids left the gate, the side gate open, and we put our dog out in the mornings when we go to church on Sunday because we're here, you know, all morning. And we came home from church, um, and Lucy was gone. And it was one of those times you're like, of course, our dog ran away the one time we don't have the, the collar on her with the number. And so she's just gone, no collar. And, and all of a sudden, my daughter specifically was like, no, this is real. We've got to go find Lucy. And, and no lie, we got in the car, and we drove up and down streets, me and Hannah, for like an hour and a half, yelling out her name, calling her name. Hannah's finally crying. And it was at that moment I was like, I'm gonna seek out this dog and I'm not stopping until I find it because my little girl's crying. We're gonna do this all night if we need to. And so I started rolling down the window. I'm like, have you seen my little dog? It's a white bulldog. And one lady was like, I think I saw someone with a dog up the deal. So I would go up there and there's a garage sale. And I'm like, did y'all see a dog come by? And this lady's like, I saw a dog on Facebook. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. So she starts scrolling. It's like. 20 minutes of her scrolling, it's like, hey, ma'am, I'm probably gonna go. She's like, oh, here it is. And she shows me, and I'm like, that's my dog. And so I call the number, and they're like, yeah, we picked her up right in front of my house and drove like 10 miles away. I don't know what that was about, but whatever. And so I'm like, awesome, we're on our way. We show up to the door, and Lucy just comes sprinting. Of course, at this time, I think they had already decided we just got a free English bulldog. No one's claiming this thing, it's ours. There's like a family gathering happening. Literally, it's running out the door, and they're like, bye, Bacon! And I was like, you named my dog Bacon in 45 minutes? Like, what is happening? And so she jumps in the car, we get home, and we rejoice because we sought after Lucy until we found her, and we weren't gonna stop. And I wonder sometime in our pursuit of following the Lord and seeking the Lord, 
if it looks like my kid's walking out the front door for 30 seconds and going, I can't find him, or us going, I'm, I'm pursuing until we lay hold of Lucy. Like Jacob, who said, I'm gonna wrestle you until you bless me, Lord. I think some of us spend our morning and we wake up or our evening and we go, man, I've prayed quickly. I read the verse of the day and I'm seeking you, but you're not answering, so I'm gone. And we're going, man, I don't know about Psalms. It says if we seek the Lord, we'll find him. Listen to what Jesus said with his own words. Ask, this is Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Hebrews says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Like Jesus has paved this way that if we seek him, we'll find him. And yet sometimes we're like, man, I read the verse of the day. I've said my little prayer five minutes and I'm, I'm out the door. I don't know. I don't know. But what would it look like if you and I got so for real about the Lord that we said, I'm gonna seek after you and I'm gonna knock on this door and I'm not leaving, Lord, until you open it and you meet with me and you answer me and you come to me. And he's going, oh, I want to do that. But I think sometimes he's going, hey, I just need to, I wanna see you come after me. I wanna see, I wanna see that you trust me, come to me. How do we seek the Lord? I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears Those who look at him, this is verse five, are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. There's this idea that if we think on what is true, we think on what is right, we pursue the Lord, we seek him with all that we have, we will behold the glory and the radiance of our God and King and it will transform us. Like have you ever met those people, like you get around someone and you go, man, I can just tell this person walks with Jesus. For me, it's like I can just see something in their eyes. There's this like life in people's eyes sometimes that know the Lord and walk with him. I believe it's those that have sought his face and seen the radiance of his glory and they, they just exude that. I don't know, maybe you don't do that, but when I'm looking at you in your eyes, I'm thinking, do you really know Jesus? I'm just kidding, <laughs> I don't think I, <laughs> but right, like these people, they, they shine, the Bible says, the radiance of God who have sought after him. And then I love what he said, and their faces shall never be ashamed. It's amazing to me that you and I, with our sin and our shame and our guilt, can come before a holy and righteous God that has no sin, and because of what Christ has done, we can never, we will never be put to shame. I'm confident that shame and guilt are the number one killer of joy and hope and peace in the life found in Christ. We, we walk in it, like we don't need anybody to tell us about it, we just wanna walk in it. The enemy's constantly telling you half truths, so you're like, maybe that is true, and we just revel in the shame and guilt, and we go, I can't go before the Lord, and he's going, no, my people that come to me and seek me, that, that know Christ can come, and their face will never be ashamed, they will shine the radiance of his glory. We can come to him. And then he continues on in verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've wondered, what, what is this, how does that play out? 
For you and I, like, we, we've heard that verse. That's a pillow verse, man. That's a coffee cup verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But what does it mean to do this? You know, think about Hannah. She's nearly 11 now. And finally, for the first time ever, we go to a restaurant and I'm like, girl, this is good. You've got to try this. She'll be like, okay, I'll try it. Sometimes she doesn't like it. Most times she's like, this is the greatest thing I've ever had. But literally two years ago, it was like she had a rolled up piece of ham and some mac and cheese. And I would be like, Hannah, you've got to check out these wings. They are incredible. You've got to try And she's like, oh, no, just one mac and cheese. And she would settle, but finally she tastes these, these wings, and now literally we're like at McDonald's. She's like, y'all got wings here? Like, they don't have wings at McDonald's, quit asking. It's her favorite food. Why? Because she began to taste and see. And now that she's growing up, she's realizing, you know what? My dad, when he, when he tells me something's good, when he tells me to indulge in something, I'm going to do it because a lot of times he's right, and I love it. And she's experienced the deeper sense of even just tasting and seeing good food other than mac and cheese. And God is telling you and I, listen, you have no idea the depth of fulfillment and goodness that you can have in me. But you gotta trust me. You gotta seek me. You've gotta come after me. Come and taste and see that I'm good. Find my glory, find my love and my grace and my mercy. It's offered to us in the person of Jesus. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I love this. There's one commentator that specifically about having no lack says this. I think we have this quote. It is not an empty promise of affluence, but an assurance of his responsible care. He says, if you fear the Lord, if you seek the Lord, if you trust the Lord, you will have no lack. And he's not going, man, I'm gonna flush you with cash and I'm gonna give you all these material things and you'll be able to just do what you want and never have to worry about money or finances. Look, sometimes he does bless in that way, but it's, that's not the guarantee. What the psalmist is saying, David is saying, hey, look, here's what I've found. That when I'm, I'm being pursued by my enemies unto death, that I can trust in the Lord that I will have lack nothing because he's gonna care for me. This promise, this commitment is that he will give us his responsible care and take care of us. And that's why it says the young lions, they lack food, but we who trust in the Lord will never lack any good things. Literally this morning when the sun came up, every creature, every creation, the flowers, the grass, the birds, everything looked to God going, we need you to sustain us today. And the Bible says, look, if he cares for the grass and the flowers, does he not care more for you? Will he not give you every good thing that you need? I think sometimes things come in our life and we're like, man, did I, did I miss what God wanted for me? Have I made the wrong decision? How is this possibly gonna work out? Maybe I've messed everything up and God's going, look, I'm in control. Seek me, find me, trust in me, rest in me because I will make sure that you are cared for because I love you. We will lack no good thing. And he continues on in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? David's about to teach us something. And he's going, hey, what man, what mo woman sitting in this room doesn't want the good life? Like doesn't want fullness of joy, doesn't want peace and hope and all these things. He's going, 
if you want that, I'm about to give you the recipe. And it's amazing what he says to me. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David says, you want the good life? You want fullness of joy? Quit speaking evil and deceit. What does he mean by that? And I think the Bible teaches that out of our mouth is the overflow of our hearts. And when we slander or when we speak hate or when we speak deceitfully or we lie, what's coming out of us is the idolatry that is in our heart. Maybe it's greed or it's jealousy or it's um, the pursuit of worldly things. I don't know. And he's going, look, what you, if you want to know life, you've got to turn from sin. Like seek good. Turn from evil. I know you guys have heard this quote, but it says this. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sometimes we, we play around with sin as though it's like this pet thing that we can control. We're going, man, I can manage this. I can, I can do this, and I'm forgiven, so it, it's all good. And the Bible's teaching that you and I are enslaved to these things. That is something that is going to still kill and destroy you. And so David said, hey, you want the good life? You want fullness of life? You want peace? You want your face to shine like the radiance of the glory of God? Then you need to turn from your sin and do good. Through the power of the Spirit to look at what God calls us to and not see it as a checklist of things to make him happy. But instead he's going, look, follow this and you will find joy. For your, your good, my glory. Turn from evil and seek to, go, to do good. Pursue it. It's found in the person of Jesus. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. I want to ask you a question. This morning, do you feel righteous, holy, without blemish, spotless? Is that how you feel? Because if you would say, yes, I am those things, we need to talk afterwards because you've got a little bit of some blind spots in your life, right? We're not righteous. We're not holy. We're prone to wonder and prone to sin. And yet the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. How do we get there? It's found in the righteousness of Jesus. I'm going to teach this over and over until the day that I die, that our identity is found solely in Christ's perfection. The Bible teaches that he wraps us in his robe of righteousness. This is a really simple thing, but it, it helps me even. This, this is teaching that if this is God and this is us, right, because of sin, literally, we're facing away from one another. There's no getting to the Lord. There's no having his face towards us. And yet Jesus steps in. He takes on our shame. He takes on our guilt. He takes on our sin. He pays the punishment. And for those who trust in him, he wraps us as righteous. And now what the Bible says is in that moment, the face of the Lord turns to us because now he has made us righteous in him. This is your positional stance with God. This never changes because it's not, it's not about you. It's about Christ and what he's done. Literally, if you are a child of God, your positional stance is face to face with the king. 
And he says, my eyes are towards you because I see you as righteous. But David's trying to teach us that the moment that we pursue sin, the moment that we begin to pursue after other things as God, what happens is God doesn't go anywhere. His face doesn't turn away from us. His love for us is unending, unchanging. But we begin to go, you know what, I think I'm gonna run after these things. And that's why we feel like we're distant from the Lord because he hasn't gone anywhere, he hasn't moved. He's still ready to receive us at any moment, but yet we've said, I've got other things I wanna pursue. And sometimes in his grace and his mercy, he comes, he grabs us, turns us around, and we go, praise God, I wanna be back with you, Lord. I wanna see you face to face. But other times, he actually lets us continue to pursue this path, and it leads in destruction and heartache and brokenness, and we kind of get to the end of ourselves and we go, what have I done? I, I want you, Lord, and we come back to the Lord. But he never moves. He never wavers. He never changes. He's still faithful. He's still with us. He's still lavishing grace, even when we're doing this. This is what Christ has accomplished. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He will hear your cry. Go to him. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. But probably some of you in this room are like, man, life's really good right now. Like there's just a lot of joy, there's a lot of good things. Praise God for that. But I would imagine at least a few of you probably come in here with some brokenheartedness, some feeling of being crushed in spirit and scripture's teaching us, David's teaching us in that moment that God is near and he saves. If you seek after him, you will find him. And then he finishes 19 through 22. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. When David's not telling us that we're gonna be without affliction. In fact, I believe probably most times following the Lord sometimes puts us up and signs us up for more affliction than if we didn't follow the Lord. And yet what David's trying to teach is like, hey, on my mountaintops, on my valleys, when I thought my life was gonna be taken from me, God has sustained me. He's been trustworthy, he's been good, and we can believe on him that he will take care of us. He will deliver us from them. He's near to us in those moments. And then he finishes with verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If we will take refuge in Christ as our covering for our sin, for our eternity, we will not be condemned. Our face will never be ashamed. We'll be able to seek him and find him and know him We'll be able to sing the praises of who he is continually on our lips. And I think that Paul in Romans 8, I just want to read this to close this morning. He sums up this whole psalm so well in Romans 8. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? will lack no good thing. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? We'll never be ashamed. We're called righteous. 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Literally, Christ at the right hand of God is praying and interceding on our behalf. He sees us. So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. David said, hey, listen, I'm gonna sing the praises of my God and King continually. I'm gonna rejoice always because my God has saved me. He has ransomed me. We're gonna boast in Christ alone because it is he who saved us. It is he who has given us all good things. We're gonna seek him with all that we have that we might know him and be delivered. We're gonna love him and pursue him ferociously knowing that in our heights and our depths he is with us. And even in tribulation we know that he will save us. And there's coming a day that he will redeem us and we will experience no condemnation because it was placed on Christ in our stead. And so will we be a people that seek after him with all that we have to behold his glory that our faces may shine with the radiance of his glory and never be ashamed. Let's pray together. And so God, we thank you. We thank you for the, the love that you show us, the care that you give us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have provided a way that for us as sinful human beings, if we seek after you, we might find you. That we can approach the throne of grace boldly and confidently, not because of our righteousness, but because of yours. And so God, I pray for the person in this room that's never trusted in you as Savior. God, I pray that your spirit right now would begin to remove scales from their eyes. That they would see the beauty and the majesty of following you, of knowing you, of having a relationship with you, of having their sin taken away. God, I pray you give them faith to believe. And, and for those of us that would say we, we love you, Lord, and we want you, and we want to magnify you, and we've experienced your grace and kindness and mercy, God, I pray that our boast would be in you alone. That what brings most excitement in our life is you, Jesus, that that would be the story that we're screaming from the mountaintops that others would come and magnify the Lord with us. God, I pray that our boast would be in you alone, that we would seek you and find you, and our faces would shine with radiance. So God, during this time, would you move the way you see fit in our hearts this morning? And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.